Live from WNUR News, I'm Anusha Kumar. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Wednesday, November 16th, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, post midterm reflection, do students' votes matter? Refusion Shaka, the biggest night of the year, and students spend Thanksgiving on campus. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. As the midterm elections came to a close last week and the ballots rolled in, some questions have arisen. Does your vote really count? Two students have an answer. Erica Schmidt takes the story. Though some predicted a red wave in last week's midterm elections, the results didn't exactly meet conservative expectations. In light of this news, we need to ask, why is voting important for young people? Weinberg senior Maddie Brown is a fellow for NU Votes, a nonpartisan student organization that promotes undergraduate and graduate voting. Brown said NU Votes was back in person for the first time since 2020. This year, the organization saw large responsiveness from students. We're really here to support students in that. There was a lot of enthusiasm, I noticed, especially just being back in person and being able to talk to people about why voting is important to them and what state they want to vote in and how that is impacting their decision to vote absentee or vote in person or what issues are important to them. So it was very exciting just to be back and be talking to people. We had great turnout when we were, you know, sitting in Norris or at these student fairs. Like the grad student fair was great. A lot of engagement across all 50 states. Brown explained the process NU Votes went through. This year, they targeted freshmen and transfer students during Wildcat Welcome. We cycle through the entire freshman class and get everyone registered either in Illinois or in their home state, get them to request absentee ballots, and then we spend most of October processing and mailing those forms and making sure that everyone is able to get their voice heard without the barriers of having to figure out these systems and get stamps by yourself. With the election now over, Senate seats are split with 49 won by Republicans and 48 for Democrats. This left many conservative members shocked as they assumed there would be a quote, red wave, unquote. Student voter Natalia Zade said the results were partially due to new members of people voting in the elections, like members of Generation Z. I think historically we've seen these trends of if we have like a Democratic president, say, during the midterms, generally Democrats will lose a lot of traction in the legislative branch and, you know, vice versa when a Republican is in office. I think we saw that with the Trump administration. So to see that this like, quote, red wave that I think Republicans had been talking about for a while turn into something that really was not as significant as they were expecting it to be was one, really exciting, but two, was in large part due to large voter turnout, primarily by like people of color and Gen Z. And the outcome of younger voters having their voice heard? Conservative responses to the matter. Some conservative politicians and activists, including Bridget Gabriel, are calling to, quote, change the voting age to 21, unquote. But Zade sees through the argument. If you can enlist in the military and like die for your country, you should be able to vote, right? Like you pay taxes at 18. I think the very basis of our country was like no taxation without representation. So I think it's stupid. I think it's a play to, you know, 
conserve red power, and it didn't work. Similarly, Brown thinks it proves that people fear the power of youth. When young people coalesce around issues, what that, what our voices can do, and what what kind of change we can enact in the society where we make our voices heard. And change voting in 21 is a fear of 18 to 20 year olds who are very progressive, voting democratic, and present a threat to the conservative agenda, which is not popular and is oppressive. So, Sade was not surprised. Um, to see them not gain nearly as many yards as they thought they would was interesting to see how they responded to that, I thought, because it was very aggressive. And like, I think the rhetoric of how they've responded has been, I mean, I think it's, it's a testament to the party. Some of the rhetoric raises questions of whether conservative policies are as popular as many say, especially for Brown's personal political beliefs. They're winning through gerrymandering and voter suppression and restrictive laws. And I mean, in Kentucky, Kentucky struck down a policy that would have restricted abortion. Like, policies against freedom and against people's voices aren't popular. And um, when conservatives are faced with that, they react in strange ways. Northwestern students are known for being politically engaged. According to Brown, in 2016, 70% of all eligible undergraduate students voted in Illinois or their home state. I think we have the power to make a lot of change and to affect these elections a lot more than people realize. And I think that's sort of what was realized in the midterms now. So I'd say, yeah, I think that if more young people vote and if they continue to vote, then we will definitely see like a continuing trend of like going more blue. Zade said she thinks growing up in our generation was during a weird time politically. I think it's made a lot of us like really cynical about voting because we're like it's not going to make much of an impact like a lot of people in our government are already like borderline fascist so like what exactly is my one vote going to do but I think that attitude one generally comes from a place of privilege but also just isn't true and I think that it represents a trend of like sort of apathy towards things that you really need to care about. Ultimately, Brown urges students to vote and hopes to continue increasing accessibility for all people on campus. From WNUR News, Erica Schmidt. Moving on to arts and entertainment. Refusion Shaka is one of the quarter's biggest performances, and this year's show featured everything from Doja Cat to the Home Depot beat. Micah Allison has the story. Refusion Shaka is Northwestern's most attended student-run performance of the year. It features not one, not two, but three student dance groups. A combination of three teams, Refresh, Fusion, Boom Shaka, which makes Refusion Shaka. Um, held in Khan Auditorium, which seats up to about a thousand people. Um, we usually sell out around two of our three shows. That was Weinberg senior Matthew Lee, the treasurer of Fusion Dance Company, a hip-hop dance group in Refusion Shaka. The other dance group, which does hip-hop and freestyle, is Refresh Dance Crew. Boom Shaka, the other participating group, is Northwestern's Rhythm and Dance Ensemble. Lee said some of the best parts of practice are seeing what each group brings to the table. 
I, de I definitely think each group has their own dynamic, and it's really fun to see that um, we're not all this, like the same kind of group. Um, it's definitely really fun. I remember my freshman year when we first heard Boom Shaka, it was really lit because they're all pounding on those trash cans, and I had no idea as a freshman what was going on, but I was like, this is really fun. I spoke to Harrison Israel, one of Boom Shaka's executive producers and Refusion Shaka chair at Boom Shaka rehearsal. He said that the groups have been writing, choreographing, and practicing their pieces since June. I think this is our most collaborative Refusion Chaka yet. I think we have like 13 members who have like written for the show in some capacity. It's, yeah, all student run, written, directed. Um, no, there's, there's no adult helping us. Israel and Lee agreed that Refusion Chaka's special energy comes from the audience and the performers. It's very different than any other student show. It's like really hype. The audience gets so into it. The energy in that room is like so infectious. It is incredible. It's also just like tons and tons of really talented students. Even if you don't know what dance is or even if you don't know anyone who's on the stage, like you're gonna have fun no matter what. Refusion Chaka's performances were on November 11th and 12th in Khan Auditorium. Eliza Matson, a freshman in Medill, went to the show on Friday evening. It was amazing. It was just so fun. Like the energy was incredible. And I used to dance, so like even the people on stage are just so incredibly talented, like every single one of them. Each dance group had their own set with middle pieces throughout the show that featured multiple groups. Matson said her favorite piece was one by Refresh. They did like JLo's song, like I Ain't Your Mama. <laughs> And it was just so good. Like, it was so clean, and the energy was really good. Before the late Saturday show, Raquel Rossi, a dancer in Fusion, was excited for the audience's reactions to the final performance. I'm very excited for the 10 p.m. because normally the audience members are a bit more vocal. And it kind of, like, helps us dance to our fullest potential. And it feels so good when the people are screaming for us in the audience. Each show had two guest performances by other dance groups at Northwestern, including NU Bangra, Tonic Tap, and Afro Thunder. Rossi said one of her favorite parts of the performances thus far has been seeing her own choreographed piece. Executing my piece on stage and seeing the audience's reactions is just absolutely magical, and the cast is incredible, so they really do my choreography justice. Of course, members of the groups always mentioned other groups as standout parts of the show. Anything that Boomshaka does is incredible, especially Boomshaka drummers. Everyone has their own favorite part, but nearly everyone I interviewed agreed. Refusion Shaka is one of, if not the best dance show of the year. Fusion Chaka is probably like the best show of the year. Don't you want to come to like the best night of your life? Because literally it is like the best, best night of the year in my opinion. Refusion Chaka is the most fun student show I've ever been to. Even if you didn't make it to Saturday's sold out show this year, there's always 2023. For WNUR News, I'm Mika Ellison. For students on campus during the Thanksgiving break, faculty-hosted Thanksgiving dinners provide an opportunity to celebrate the holiday. Ellie Skelly spoke with some students and faculty who are planning to have a Wildcat Thanksgiving. Emeritus Professor Roger Boy 
is no stranger to making Northwestern feel one step closer to home. A mother comes up to me. She says, are you the professor who had my daughter over for Thanksgiving dinner when she was a freshman? I said, well, probably. And she says, I was so grateful for that because it would have been my daughter's first major holiday away from friends and family. As the faculty chair of the Communications Residential College, or CRC, he plans an annual Thanksgiving dinner for students on campus every year. He sends out invitations, coordinates with a caterer, books a venue, and sometimes even opens up his own home to students over the holiday. But it's a, it's a traditional Thanksgiving dinner. Whether it be expensive flights, hectic final schedules, or family feuds, many Northwestern students choose to spend their Thanksgiving on campus. And while Evanston might not be as homey as, well, home, faculty hosted Thanksgiving dinners like Professor Boy's tried to bridge the two. I wouldn't really call Northwestern a very homey place, but I think uh, Rifka Cook, who was the faculty in residence hosting the Thanksgiving dinner, definitely tried to make the dinner feel like a really homey experience, which was nice. That was sophomore Sophia Gamble. She spent her first Thanksgiving dinner away from home eating holiday fare in the first floor lounge of Allison Hall. I kind of like the idea of a catered dinner. Uh, the dining halls are also closed for like dinner on Thanksgiving, so it was my only like on-campus option to go to. And it was also just like a way to meet people who are like also staying for Thanksgiving break. Sophia explained that it would be hard to call Thanksgiving on campus a picturesque, warm and fuzzy family holiday. But she explains Thanksgiving has never really been that way for her family. Uh, well, me personally, Thanksgiving at home is a little bit more chaotic. Uh, so I think Thanksgiving at Northwestern is really just like what you make it to be. And it's a pretty relaxed day. So while faculty hosted Thanksgiving dinners may not contain all of the characteristics of a Norman Rockwell painting, they make sure students have a plateful of food and a community to support them. At least some students have told Professor Boyd that I was able to get my term papers finished, I was able to catch up on my homework, um, and, and having the dinner made, it, made the idea of staying on campus all the better. For WNUR News, I'm Ellie Skelly. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.15 p.m. Central Time. Northwestern athletics are continuing to impress, with fall sports getting into the postseason play and winter sports just starting up. Brendan Priceman has a sports report. Hi, I'm Brendan Priceman, and it's time for your NU sports report for the week. The fall seasons are winding down and the winter seasons are picking up, so let's dive right in. In field hockey, the defending national champions had a very dramatic week as they looked to make their second consecutive Final Four. They opened the NCAA tournament against Miami of Ohio, a team whom they had beaten 3-1 earlier this season. However, this game was not as easy for the Wildcats. The score was deadlocked at 0-0 until Peyton Holsey hit a penalty stroke midway through the third quarter, her third penalty goal of the postseason. However, Miami was able to knot up the score at 1 in the fourth quarter thanks to a penalty corner. The game went into overtime, and despite Northwestern having four shots compared to just one for the Redhawks, the game stayed tied throughout both 10-minute overtime periods. 
During the ensuing penalty shootout, Northwestern took a 2-0 lead before Miami came clawing back to tie things at 2-2. Lauren Wattis hit a tough shot to give the Cats the lead, and then Miami appeared to match things, but Annabelle Skubich called for a referral, which was granted, sealing the Northwestern win. Following those dramatics, the Cats advanced to take on Iowa, which had handed them a 2-0 loss earlier in the season. The game started off very low scoring with Scoobish and Iowa goalie Mia Magnata making things very difficult for the offenses. Iowa took the lead on a fourth quarter penalty corner early in the fourth quarter, but Bente Bockers responded with a penalty corner of her own about three minutes later, her 23rd goal of the season. Once again, the Cats were forced to go to overtime, and once again, there was no scoring in the extra periods. For their second straight game, Northwestern went to a shootout to try and keep their season alive. Despite being down 1-0 after two attempts, Northwestern kept at it, and both Bockers and Anna Medina-Garcia converted to give the Cats a 4-3 lead late. After Scoobish made yet another save, Northwestern had officially survived and would advance to their second straight Final Four. The Wildcats will take on Maryland to open the Final Four this Friday, November 18th at 2 p.m. in Storrs, Connecticut. Meanwhile, the women's volleyball team went on a Michigan road trip, taking on both the Michigan Wolverines and Michigan State Spartans. Michigan was first up, and they were able to beat the Wildcats three sets to one. Northwestern was able to take the first set 25-23 behind a great effort from Temi Thomas A. Lara, who had a team-high 23 kills total in the match. However, Michigan was able to pick things up from there and took the next three sets easily, 25-15, 25-19, and 25-23. Michigan's service game was on point as they had nine aces to just three for Northwestern. Unfortunately, the Wildcats were unable to bounce back against Michigan State. The Spartans swept Northwestern, 25-23, 25-18, and 25-14. Northwestern wasn't able to get a player double-digit kills for the first time all season. Michigan State was also able to easily beat Northwestern in terms of blocks, winning that battle 8-5. Northwestern will try to bounce back this week, facing Indiana on the road this Friday and taking on Michigan State at home on Sunday. Turning to the hardwood, Northwestern men's basketball moved to 2-0 after defeating NIU 63-46 last Friday. Robbie Barron led the team in scoring with 15 points, and Boo Booey and Ty Berry also scored in double figures. One of the big reasons the Wildcats were able to earn the victory was turnovers. They forced 17 turnovers from the Huskies and scored 17 points off of those. On Tuesday at Georgetown, the Cats were able to pull out a dramatic 75-63 win thanks to a 42-point second half. Chase Audige had 13 of those second half points and 17 total in the game, and Bowie and Barry also scored in double figures once again. Northwestern hit 14 three-pointers in the game to move to 3-0 for the second consecutive year. Meanwhile, for the women's team, they were able to get their first win of the year after defeating Penn 63-55. Courtney Shaw led the way with 12 points, and Kayla Rainey added 11 to go along with four assists, while Kaylee Walsh scored nine points and grabbed 10 rebounds. Northwestern out-rebounded Penn 46-34, and was able to weather a late Penn comeback in the fourth quarter thanks to excellent free-throw shooting. The Cats will play Notre Dame tonight, Wednesday night, and take on Southern Illinois on Saturday. And finally, the football team lost for the ninth straight time. This time, the opponent was the Minnesota Golden Gophers, led by star running back Muhammad Ibrahim. Ibrahim dominated the game, rushing for 178 yards and three touchdowns. The Wildcats were unable to get anything going on offense, converting just three of their 12 third downs, and fell 31-3. Both Brendan Sullivan and Ryan Holinsky saw action, but both were forced to leave the game due to injury, meaning that both Carl Richardson and Cole Freeman took snaps for the first time all season. Sullivan led the team in passing, but had just nine completions for 94 yards. Northwestern will stay on the road this weekend, traveling to West Lafayette to take on Purdue this Saturday. That's about it for the NU Sports Report this week. There's a lot of action coming up in the next few days, and you won't want to miss any of it. For more information about upcoming games, as well as how you can watch the Wildcats live, visit www.nusports.com. I'm Brendan Preisman, WNUR News.
A look at the weather for tonight. After snowing yesterday and today, the precipitation is finally taking a break, although there was no accumulation. It'll continue to be cold with a low of 31 tonight and a high of 33 tomorrow. On Friday, the temperature will continue to drop with a high of 29. Taking a look into the headlines, the university formed a search committee for a new dean of the McCormick School of Engineering. Current dean, Julio Otino, is stepping down after 17 years. Northwestern University student Irina Petrick has been selected as a 2023 Rhodes Scholar. Petrick is a senior in the Weinberg College of Arts and Sciences, majoring in economics and international studies. The Rhodes Scholarship provides all expenses for multiple years of study at the University of Oxford in England. This week, Evanston City Council expressed their support for fully funding public safety pensions. Currently, the city funds between 50 and 60 percent of police and fire pensions. The Republican Party has won control of the U.S. House of Representatives. Following the midterm elections last Tuesday, the Democratic Party defied predictions and maintained control of the Senate. The Republicans' narrow win in the House presents a blockade to President Biden's agenda, despite the Democratic win in the Senate. And an explosion in Poland, miles from its border with Ukraine, has killed two people. Polish authorities believe they were hit by what appears to be a Russian-made missile. But President Biden, who was in Indonesia for the G20 summit, disagrees with this assessment. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR News stories on our website, WNUR.News. That's WNUR.News. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Paz Baum, and our, pr- our reporters are Erica Schmidt, Mika Allison, and Ellie Skelly. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Anusha Kumar. Catch our last newscast of the quarter on Friday, November 18th at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.